0: Good morning everyone. It's good to see you on this beautiful Sunday in the season of Lent as we make our way towards Easter and the celebration of our Lord's uh, resurrection, the gift of new life. You know, many in Jesus' day shared a common worldview, and that, that being that sudden death, illness, hardship, tragedy, suffering, they were seen as punishment or the just rewards for sin. We see this play out in books like Job. If you're familiar with the book of Job, uh, Job was um, considered a righteous person, at least they thought. Um, he had all the blessings in the world that you could imagine, and then with one series of uh, tragedies after another, he lost it all. And Job's not-so-helpful friends suggest that the many hardships and tragedies he had experienced were the consequences of his sin or the sin of some member of Job's family. The thinking here is God is just. God is good. And God protects and rewards the righteous and only punishes or allows hardship or difficulty to afflict the guilty or the wicked. Job's friends even asked him, Whom among those who are innocent ever perished? The obvious answer being none. No one. People have long believed that there's a connection between sin and suffering. There are those who've suggested that the destruction caused by earthquakes or hurricanes or tsunamis and even the war in Ukraine are all signs or means of God's just punishment for sin. This belief that death and illness and suffering and hardship are, are just rewards for, for sin is often paired with the, the other side of the coin that says righteous people, good people, moral people are somehow immune from suffering and pain. The ancient notion that prosperity and good health are signs of God's favor and blessing and that poverty and misfortune are an indication of some kind of moral failing persist even to this day. In our desire to order the world, it it seems that we need some explanation for suffering, something to blame when things go wrong. So this is the way many in Jesus' day, and quite a few in our own, believe the world works. God punishes the wicked, and God rewards those who are good. If bad things happen to you, it must be because of some moral failing. And if good things come your way, you're obviously being blessed for your goodness, your righteousness. And there's no shortage of contemporary preachers making a good living with this kind of thinking. So a group came to Jesus to question him, probably to put him to the test the way groups often did. And since things were apparently going well in their lives, they believed they had no need for for change, for renewal, for transformation, for repentance. God had blessed them obviously because things were going well in their life. And because they believed themselves to be righteous and good, they could turn their attention on others. Especially those who had experienced some kind of tragedy or hardship or suffering. And they could say to them, surely someone sinned. You or someone related to you must have sinned for such hardship to come your way. Surely this is God's just punishment. After all, God is good and just, and God punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous. Picking up on the parable Jesus tells later in the gospel reading, uh, you might think about it this way, good trees bear fruit, bad ones don't. And when we, we, we therefore know a bad one when we see it, and the bad one should just be cut down. They're of no use. It's not the only time Jesus will confront and reject this kind of thinking. When he encounters a man born blind at another place in the Gospels, the disciples ask Jesus. You hear it in, in even Jesus' disciples, his closest friends. Who sinned, Lord, this man or his parents? Because, right, you're only blind if, if someone's done something bad. Jesus quickly responds, Neither. Likewise, when asked about the character of a group of Galileans who were murdered on Pilate's order, Jesus rejects the assumption that their treatment was in any way warranted by their behavior or their character. And he responds by giving the example of those who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them and crushed them. Now the backstory to the Tower of Siloam, because I'm not assuming that we're all up on our Tower of Siloam (laughs) history... um, is that it was uh, part of the aqueduct project that Pilate was building in Jerusalem, and Pilate, being Pilate, was using proceeds from the temple in order to fund his public works project. So if you were working on the Tower of Siloam, you were being paid by money that was basically stolen from the temple, and therefore the Jews didn't like you being in collaboration with Pilate, who was stealing money from the temple for his public works projects. Therefore, if you're working on Pilate's public works project, if you're following me, you're a bad person. Because you're taking money that's been stolen from the temple. That's the backstory, And what Jesus says about those who were tragically killed when the tower fell is that they are no worse or no better than anyone else. The tragedy was in no way related to their moral state, good or bad. And despite the temptation to believe otherwise, the same is true regarding those who suffer and those whom we perceive as being blessed today. Suffering and illness, tragedy, death are not punishment for sin, any more than success and well-being are rewards for or signs of our goodness, our righteousness. Now, there, of course, can be hard consequences for bad choices and poor behavior, for sure. But those bad consequences are not fire cast down from heaven to punish the wicked. And given what we see in Jesus' interaction with the crowd, it seems that we should be very careful when we make judgments about someone's character based upon their life's circumstances or God's love for someone or displeasure with someone based upon how life has turned out for them. There is a wideness in God's mercy. And it seems that God is is far more patient and less quick to condemn than are we. Sometimes I think it helps reading or hearing the scripture in a, in a different way. Eugene Peterson's message is um, one of those more contemporary readings of the text. He, he puts it this way. He says, some folks came to Jesus, asked him about the Galileans that Pilate had killed while they were at worship, and Jesus just says, do you think they were any better or worse than any other Galileans? Not at all. But unless you turn to God, you too will not have life. And those 18, you remember them the other day, killed when the Tower of Siloam fell in Jerusalem? Do you honestly believe that they're worse than the rest of the Jerusalemites? Of course not. And unless you too turn to God, you will not have life. And if Jesus were here today, maybe he would ask us, do you think all the men and women and children who've been killed by earthquakes or hurricanes or the people fleeing Ukraine, driven from their homes, or the the neighbor or the co-worker or the family member who's struggling with an illness or, or disease, do you think they're worse sinners than everybody else? Of course not. And unless you too turn to God, you will not have life. And then Jesus tells a short little parable. Guy had a fig tree in his front yard, went out to that fig tree year after year after year, expecting to find what? Figs. No figs. Finally, he calls the gardener and says, you know, what's going on with this tree? It's taken up space in the garden. It won't produce figs. Let's just cut it down. Gardener says, well, these these things are. Um, it's, it's sometimes hard to know how they're going to turn out. Let's give it another year. I'll water it. I'll put some fertilizer on it. Take better care of it. Who knows? Like a gardener who's. Um, Nurturing, care, pruning, watering, fertilizing, feeding is is designed to call forth life and fruitfulness. So too, God's patient love, God's nurturing love for us, for all of us, calls forth the best from us. The way from death, decay, and Fruitlessness to the fullness of life that God desires for all people involves our cooperation with God by, by living a life of prayer and a life of faithful action it requires an honest assessment of how of how our love has been disordered at times. An honest confession of all the ways that we 've not loved God and not loved our neighbors well, not loved our enemies, and a commitment to staying in love with God to staying close to the The source, the the root of our life, the fertile soil who gives us life. Jesus is clear. The Galileans that Pilate killed are no more or less sinful than other Galileans. And the ones killed by the collapse of the tower in Siloam, they're no more or less sinful than their fellow citizens. And Anybody killed by an earthquake or a car accident or a natural disaster or fleeing uh, war in um, their own country, becoming refugees, or the man or woman on the sidewalk outside lying in the street, or that co-worker whose life seems just one tragedy after another, or even that beautiful, handsome, have-it-all family down the street. None of them are more or less sinful. No more or less good or bad than anyone else in God's eyes they're all loved and that's the key the point of the story the the truth the narrative that should define our lives is simply that God loves all of us now that's harder to imagine about some of us than others But God loves all of us, and God's patient desire is that we mature, that we give ourselves wholeheartedly to God, and that we experience an abundant, fruitful life. What is clear from this encounter is that Jesus has absolutely no time for those who come to him to debate the character or goodness of their neighbors. As he says elsewhere first consider the log in your own eye before you worry about the speck in your neighbors and I don't know about you but I have plenty to worry about to occupy me for a long time so we shouldn't be too quick Jesus says to decide who among us is more or less sinful or faithful because all of our love is disordered in some way and yet God loves us still. Both when we're at our absolute best and even when we're at our weary worst. The, the good news Christ wanted that crowd to, to know uh, is that God loves us in spite of our brokenness and our goodness. We need to hear that. God loves us in spite of our brokenness and in spite of our goodness. And God seems to be willing for us to take up space even a little longer, willing to invest in us, take care of us, nurture us, feed us, that we might begin again so that we might bear fruit and might learn to live life well. It's kind of a warning and an invitation in this text. The warning is don't be too quick to judge that tree because of its fruit. You never know what's going on in someone's life. Um, And give it some time. Be patient. God is. Man had a fig tree in his front yard. No figs. I'm just, well, cutting it down. But the wise gardener says, you know, you never know how these are going to turn out. You just don't know. Let's give it a while and see. Just a year, who knows? A little fertilizer, a little sunlight, a little water. Maybe then. Amen.